Welcome to Beyond the Boardroom with me, Kieran Paul. Today, you will hear my discussion with Giuseppe Bivona, who co-founded Bluebell Capital Partners in 2019. I ask him about his work, and in particular, Bluebell's current proxy fight with BlackRock, urging the investor giant to axe its CEO, Larry Fink. Prior to Bluebell, Giuseppe worked with investment banks Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley and Lehman Brothers in London. So I hope you enjoy the knowledge that he provides us in this interview. We spoke at the beginning of March. So uh, so welcome, Giuseppe. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So, so as always here on Beyond the Boardroom, I have some quick fire questions to get to know you. Uh, so, Giuseppe, cats or dogs? I know it depends. <laughs> I would say more dogs. More dogs. And uh, bagels or muffins? Definitely muffin. What type? Chocolate. <laughs> uh, what book are you reading right now? I'm reading a book about the affair de refuse, uh, uh, which is called J'accuse. And what is the last film you watched? As a matter of fact, I watched Babylon uh, on Saturday, but I didn't stay to the end. Oh, how come? <laughs> it was too long and a bit boring. Uh, you know, life is too short. So so when I go on to uh, Bluebell's website, the backdrop is a wonderful field of Bluebells. Uh, where <laughs> did the name come from? <laughs> the name was chosen by the young daughter of my partner. And uh, and I think uh, in the end we like the names because uh, you know it contains two words. One is blue, which is uh, the blue blood uh, of the investment bank, which I worked for many years, which is Morgan Stanley, do business in a first class way, and bell, which is a bit the bell that we ring when we show up in company. Uh, but the truth is that the names was chosen by <laughs> Carlotta, who was a young daughter of uh, Marco Tarico. How old was she when she uh, when she chose it? Well, I think uh, I think she must have been eleven, twelve. There you go. More companies should listen to to the children. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's a very unintimidating name, you know, in in this space. But I think people and corporate now, you know, I think they manage to know us better, to understand what we do, and nobody get uh, you know diffused by the name. Uh, and now, in your own words, um, tell us about your campaign at BlackRock. I know our listeners will be very keen to hear about it. Well, look, actually, first of all, let me start. BlackRock is exactly the profile of company we like to invest. You know, it's a champion in its own industry. And obviously, we do see a lot of growth opportunity across region and product. But we've been certainly focusing uh, on their uh, strategy on ESG. Uh, I think uh, clearly they managed to alienate the, um, a lot of... Uh, uh, of their own clients, uh, uh, some uh, of whom believe that they're doing too much in ESG, and somebody on the opposite end who say they're doing too little. As a matter of fact, uh, we we are saying something different. Uh, we are just saying that BlackRock is not doing what they say they're doing, uh, which for us it's a it's a big concern. And we say that from our privileged position as a fellow shareholder, many uh, campaign in company where we run campaign like uh, Richmond. Uh, like Solvay and others, where we really uh, end up observing um, how, in our uh, judgment, BlackRock doesn't live up to the standard of being a champion in ESG. 
and and the campaign looks around Larry Fink. Are we asking a number of things? We're asking. Uh, it's never something about people. We are focusing on the business side. You know, when a company starts alienating its own client, it's not a good uh, thing for uh, anybody, including the shareholder. So, uh, what we are asking to the company is, first of all, uh, to run a strategic review of the ESG uh, strategy, including, for instance, on a recent initiative they launched, which is voting choice. We are asking uh, to uh, improve governance by splitting up uh, the role of the chairman and the CEO and empowering a new CEO. And third, we are asking um, to appoint a new lead independent director you know, for a company like BlackRock, uh, who like to say that they champion ESG and G's governance, having a lead independent director who has been a director sitting in the ballroom for 20 years uh, is not exactly what we'll be expecting from that. By the way, the, the, the proxy uh, is going to be out in uh, probably around the month. And, um, you know, I will expect uh, that the board will address uh, perhaps not all, but some of these requests. And, um, you know, I tend to be very optimistic. Yeah, we see what happens. Um, Absolutely. And and in our summary of campaigns last year, uh, Insighty noted that, that Bluebell is willing to take on long-shot, long-term campaigns. Do you agree with that? Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> our strategy, it's a bit like apply private uh, equity style to the public market. I mean, we... Uh, you know, we focus on four areas, uh, operation, strategy, capital structure, and governance, and more broadly ESG, uh, but implementing a change which creates sustainable long-term value does require uh, some time. Think about, for instance, our campaign on Danone. You know, we, we invest in 2020, we manage in 2021 to change the governance, split the role of the chairman SEO, and oust uh, the then CEO. But then it took uh, six months to hire a new CEO. Uh, it took uh, then uh, to the new CEO six months to understand the company and charter a new course. And, uh, you know, and we are there to support this change, which again, requires time. And, and out of all the campaigns that you've been involved in, Giuseppe, what would you say your favorite is? But it's a difficult question because of course, uh, each one of them is, uh, is very important for us. And, uh, and each one is uh, special uh, in his own reason. For sure, I am uh, personally, I'm very fond of what we did, what we accomplished at Solvay. Uh, Solvay, we ran a campaign, which is, was essentially purely environmentally focused, uh, to get the company addressing some significant environmental issues in the Mediterranean Sea. It took us more than two years, but in the end, the company agreed uh, with our change. We work uh, alongside the same direction. Uh, it started a very confrontational. It ended in a very constructive manner. And, uh, you know, we both and we issue a joint re press release in September of last year announcing some very important change, um, which I think it's a, it's a great success story, something which can uh, get us very proud of what we accomplished for the environment. And it's certainly a campaign which uh, <laughs> it was a lot of work to get it done. So uh, we, we feel very proud, very, very proud of that. But I would say the same with many others, you know, we, with the change implemented at Richmond, obviously what we did in Danone, and, and some of the other which are completely private, uh, which, which uh, you know, the destiny of an activist is being known when it goes public. But most of the work we do 
it's just working beyond closed door and uh, these are equally very interesting uh, investment for us hi i'm brian stafford of diligent and you're listening to beyond the boardroom from insightia And and so on this sort of same path, what is the biggest lesson you have learned from a campaign that maybe didn't go so well or didn't go as planned? Well, look, uh, I, I think uh, I think uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of lesson, it's certainly be patient. Sometimes things do require uh, longer than what we would have uh, expected. Um, I think uh, as an investor, uh, you know, we work with uh, public information, of course, and uh, you know, sometimes we uh, we need to be prepared. Sometimes to to uh, recognize uh, when uh, our thesis could be uh, potentially not taking into account certain other factor. So be always um, very uh, keen to listen because our objective is again working uh, alongside uh, the company to create value so i think these are certainly two lessons which uh, which i keep uh, <laughs> very close to my heart when i look back to the last three years activity of our fund and you mentioned uh, rich man obviously while you lost the proxy fight last year your campaign did still compel the company to revamp its governance and appoint a board representative for class a shareholders so yeah you can still take a lot of pride in that can't you I we consider Richmond one of our most successful campaign, and I know that sometimes uh, you know th- this is not a business of just winning a board seat at, at least not for us. Think about uh, think about what we achieve uh, on Richmond. The major ask we had with the company business wise when we reached out to them, which I believe when the summer twenty one was to exit uh, the online. You know that the business of Yuxenta Porte, uh, which they acquired has nothing to do with their own online on their on their product and uh in august of last year they announced the deal uh, which essentially is the first step in um, in with farfetch which is the first step in this direction we asked them to uh reduce the size of the board they did it we asked to increase uh, uh, the number of independent directors, which they did it uh, we asked them to appoint a director in representation of the market you know uh, which they did not, uh, uh, we did not manage to get a point the director we suggested. But for the first time in 34 years, there is a, a director sitting on the board, which is accountable toward the market, uh, which never been since the IPO. Um, and by the way, the stock uh, uh, since we invested has done phenomenally well. So <laughs> Richmond is certainly one of the best examples of uh, all the success we had in our activist campaign. And what what trends in activism are you expecting to see uh, this year compared to maybe last year or recent years? Well, look, I we think that the activist in Europe is still, uh, you know, at his infantry. We believe that we are. Somebody say recently, you know, we are entering the golden age of activists. There are a lot of underperforming companies. There are still conglomerates uh, which uh, are with. We have poor performance because of wrong capital location. Uh, we do have uh, dysfunctional governance. Um, so I must admit, we are quite excited uh, of uh, uh, of uh, uh, of this strategy. Uh, you know, at the current juncture, 
We think there are a lot of uh, low and improvements. I mean, I think last year, um, you know, we did a significantly better uh, of, of the market as a whole in Europe. I mean, we end up kind of flattish. Europe was around minus 10%. Um, this year, you know, we're yeah. beginning of the year, you know, we're, but essentially, you know, as of today, we are up, you know, close to 10%, which is still more than what Europe um, is done. So I think it's a validation that the strategy work, uh, that there is, uh, we have certainly uh, a very clear execution plan. And uh, again, in, in Europe, it's an uncrowded strategy with a lot of, lot of opportunities. So we're very excited about and you mentioned uh, the environment earlier as well. Do you think uh, environmental things are going to be also important as well as part of ESG campaigns this year? I expect the market uh, becoming more adult and mature about, uh, uh, you know, when we talk about environmental issue uh, in, in corporation. I think we've done a lot of work in this space. I mentioned survey, but clearly... There was a number of campaigns that we are we've been running, we're still in, uh, where the financial proposition goes end in ends with an environmental request. This is the case of RWE, this is the case of Glencore. Uh, but I think uh, the market uh, and generally investors are getting more mature uh, that um, environment or social issue is not a buzzword. Uh, it's not just a way, it's not a commercial proposition either for the investor or the corporate. It shouldn't be like this. And differentiating uh, more uh, in the quality of the investment thesis is something that we see, we expect to be, to see more and more, uh, certainly starting from uh, this year uh, proxy season. All right. Well, thank you, Giuseppe, for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Stay tuned. There's a lot of things that we uh, are working on the moment, and I think some of them will be public. And so, again, uh, this is a, a very interesting uh, uh, space for investor, um, and, and I encourage to follow us. Some sure you all agree that was an insightful conversation. Now, in 2021, R. Josh Black ran the New York City Marathon. And because he is possibly mad, next month he will be doing the London Marathon. And I shall be there to support him on the sides. Not not running with him, goodness. No, not definitely not running with him. I caught up with Josh a few weeks ago to hear about his progress. Hey, Karen. It's nice to be back. Now, you're not out of breath, so clearly you've, uh, you've not been running just now. But can you tell us why you're doing another marathon? Um, I don't really have an answer for you. Um, why does anyone do anything? Um, no, I, I enjoyed the training aspect of it. You know, who doesn't love a good training montage since, uh, you know, the latest installment in the, the Rocky Cinematic Universe is out now, Creed Free. Um, that's good inspiration. Um, yeah, I just felt like having done one in New York, you know, it felt right to do one on home soil as well, especially as, you know, a lot of friends and family can come out to see me sweating and puffing and stumbling over the line you know want to give them that opportunity and uh yeah i'm really excited to do london i think it'll be really fun why didn't you just start boxing if you've been inspired by creed wouldn't that be easier uh, 
I'm way too pretty for boxing, as as everyone knows. Yeah, I think Ali said that as well. Um, <laughs> and uh, my ears are big enough, though. Yeah, Muhammad Ali said it uh, with a lot more poetry. Uh, you know, you you said about uh, the fact that you're you're training in New York, you work in New York at the moment. You're coming over to London to do it. Yeah, what's that like training in New York, and then you know the actual thing will be in London. Uh, well, the only thing I can tell you uh, that I'm focused on is that New York has a lot of hills and bridges, especially near where I'm living. So all the training is you know pretty tough. And I'm looking forward to the nice flat course in London. Um, I guess the other thing is you don't get as much rain here in New York. Um, it's a little bit easier to avoid. So I'm having to mentally prepare myself for a very damp, foggy or drizzly day of running in, in London. And you know, hopefully we get great weather is all I can say. One confusion you may have, of course, is if, is if you want to cheat, you can't just jump into a yellow car. It's a black cab, isn't it, in London? You might you might get a bit confused. That's true, yeah. I wonder where I could end up if I jumped in the nearest uh, yellow car. Yeah. Thankfully, having been born and bred in London, I think I will you know, recognise some of the, uh, the routes uh, as they direct us. You know, I also know the tube system so if there's an opportunity to jump on a tube train and cut a couple of hours off my time that could be a, a way of making life a bit easier and i probably won't get as lost as if i was doing it somewhere else and no doubt there'd be delays if, if you do do that um what uh, what landmarks in london because uh, i'm sure our, our listeners over in the us will be keen to hear about this what what landmarks are you most looking forward to running past well parliament and Buckingham Palace and Big Ben and all that will signal that I'm pretty near the end. So I'm certainly looking forward to running past that and the finish line. Um, it starts in southeast London. Uh, you go over Tower Bridge, which is one of the big, the big kind of like photo opportunities, not to be confused with London Bridge, you know, either the one that's still in London or the one that's in Arizona now. And uh, you spend a lot of time in the Docklands, so I feel very at home around all the skyscrapers there. Um, and then, yeah, then just the the final sprint along the embankment to the West End. That'll be fun. I very much doubt it will be a sprint by that point. If it is, I will applaud you even more than I plan to applaud you. <laughs> yeah, it's all relative. And, and uh, I feel like I should uh, I should say that I won't be cheating and, and jumping on a, a tube train. That would defeat the object. Um, I wouldn't feel good about it. And of course, you know, listeners and uh, generous donors uh, to the charity of choice, guys in St. Thomas Kidney Patients Association, wouldn't want to think I was ducking out on my uh, responsibilities. So, you know, I will be doing the full thing and uh, uh, I'll, I'll be doing it honestly. And you, and you mentioned the charity there. Can you just tell us a little bit about what they do? Yeah, no. So obviously, like the provision of healthcare is like a really important charity, but um, this this one is more kind of around the pastoral care. So it's making sure that kidney patients have the opportunity to to travel and accommodation uh, that makes them feel comfortable. They also organise uh, a game. Um, tournament um, with 
uh, various sports for people who've had uh, kidney transplants, which you know I think is a really lovely idea. And the fact that it's a, a hospital in my home city uh, makes it extra special. It's nice to give back to London for all the things that it gave me over the years. And where can people follow your training progress as you lead up to it? Yeah, I've been putting some stuff on LinkedIn about uh, the number of miles I've run and progress of my uh, charity fundraising goal. So LinkedIn is probably the best place. Uh, I said at the beginning it was nice to be back on, but you and Rebecca and Antoinette have been doing such a great job with the podcast. It's allowed me to to put my uh, feet to the asphalt, both uh, both in running and uh, in the wider work sense. So uh, we'll be sharing more about the, the things that we've been doing over the course of the proxy season but um yeah i just want to say congratulations on a great job with the, the last runner podcast well it's been a marathon for us um yes you know uh, we did 26.2 episodes and we're very proud of it and so as you ask me why do you do it um i think the line's gone <laughs> <laughs> because you you couldn't not do it yeah, no, I uh, yeah, um, but we're, yeah, what we do is you 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 can only come on this now if you're running a marathon. Let's say that sounds good. So, if you would like to follow Josh's progress or sponsor his efforts, I've put the link to his sponsorship page in the show description. That's it, though, for today's episode. Remember, if you want something discussed on a future episode or a particular guest you want to see in the hot seat, like Giuseppe, simply email insitia.press at diligent.com. I'm Kieran Paul, and I'll see you next time.